Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Bandanas and a Microphone. This is Andres Aguilar. And this is Christopher Castro. I'm excited. This is episode two of our new podcast project. And you know what, Castro? Been thinking a lot about walk-up songs and theme songs. So what I'm thinking about is as we get ready to start recording, we got to kind of hype ourselves up. And, and so I was thinking, like, what would be your walk-up song to hype yourself up? Like if you were up at bat. Since I haven't ever had a, a theme slash walk-up song yet in my life that's been prominent enough for me to discard the very first one I stayed my intentions about in the 11th grade, I have to stick with the exact same one. <laughs> 11th grade, you decided this? Yes. there It, it was on a state test. You know, good old... Uh, Good old No Child Left Behind. This was a question and, um, <laughs> We had a state test, and there was an essay on it that said something to the effect of, like, you're running for president. And I forget, actually, what the prompt said, but I wrote about how, like, what my presidential platform would be. And then I talk about, uh, I ended it by having, or no, I start yeah, the whole essay. <laughs> yeah, I started the whole essay we're talking about how I was walking into the national, um, uh, like the, the, the convention. And at the convention, oh, I think they like me uh, by um, them white tea, uh, um, uh, by, uh, we're going to definitely have to edit this again. But, um, oh, I think they like me by, who is it? I can't help you here. We'd have to Google that real quick. I'm going to go get this up. <laughs> While you Google that. Um, should I? Is it all right if I share a song that I think? So <laughs> I got two really. One that I think of like if I was a boxer, and one that I think of as like just like any other moment that I want to get hyped up. Did you find that? Did you find out who the artist is? Who's the artist? Dim Franchise Boys, and I just I thought it was like it'd be such a show of confidence to walk into a place and be like, oh, I think they like me. It's like, let's just put the elephant out there, you know? <laughs> like, if you're giving me a nomination, yeah. I mean, I think you'd really like me. So I just feel like it's very representative there. Seems accurate, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was thinking if I, if I wanted to be intimidating and I wanted to also like be in the right mindset, a really good one, if you ever watched um, Creed, uh, he, come, he comes out to Tupac um oh man i'm about to blank speaking of editing <laughs> it comes out to the tupac song um oh man well, i was ready to share this earlier too hail mary <laughs> oh that's a good one yeah i thought that one would be a sick one as like a boxer but if i was just like coming up to bat i kind of really like um otis by jay-z and kanye that song usually gets me pretty hyped. I had a roommate in Phoenix who I respected his passion for the song. I'm not sure if I totally agree with his passion, <laughs> but you have to love a man who loves something as much as this guy loved this song. And I think every day he listened to Lose Yourself by Eminem 
And it was like his gym song where he was like, it just like, and then anytime he needed to get hype before he went to school, cause he worked in special education and he like listened to that song. It was like his hype song, like hype music. Oh man. I also just know my personality though. was like, I don't, I like to mix things up. Like shuffle is my favorite feature. You know, it's like, I kind of just like the randomness. So while I would really like that song for a little bit, I'm pretty sure I would, change it a whole lot <laughs> I, I like that idea not sure if i would do the same thing um another friend of mine in college which i think i connect i connect with this um through his perspective where he viewed every like quarter or every semester in college as like a new chapter in a book that like overall was college and then i think he continues to use an analogy just overall in life. Like each year I complete like another chapter of my life. And it's interesting to think about that perspective. And personal narratives also just control so much of it, but most people don't have the self-awareness to at least title it by like a chapter. Yeah. I think thinking about your life in, in chapters is a, is a, cool idea in this in the sense that like your life is a story and you get to like you know if you want to like kind of analyze it and, and uh look back at it you can kind of say compartmentalize it or structure or organize it in a certain way but i was also thinking like something i like about literature is like when the author will throw it off and be like all right this chapter is going to be one paragraph and this chapter is going to be like 37 pages you know like i like mixing up that that varying uh length so like I, I know, like I would like to say, like, hey, today was a shitty day. I want it to be the short chapter in my life and go to the next chapter tomorrow. That'd be a nice option to have, you know. Um, all right, cool. So, this is the second episode. Let's get it started. I was thinking uh, maybe we could talk first a little bit about some of our hobbies or intentions that we've been setting lately. Um. So you were telling me a little bit about something that is uh, uh, on your mind. Yeah. And I also throughout the show, we had some creative ideas around now having certain moments that hopefully connect with you. Um, so this is the hobby moment, which is brought, brought to you by our current hobbies. <laughs> um, you're also going to end up hearing our worry moment. Maybe the thing that's keeping us up at night or uh, the thing that's just been on our thoughts that weighs heavy. Um, and maybe it's a little bit harder, but we also should never ignore the darkness because it also helps us understand how bright the light is. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about the beautiful moment and that will close out our episode. But in between there, we're gonna just let some conversation flow. Um, so for the hobby moment, and what Andres was alluding to, uh, this upcoming week, I'm going to do a PD on project management um, for uh, the people who I develop and I coach. And um, recently in my own personal life, I've been really into biking. Yes, you have been. And a huge part of that is because I got fascinated with a certain bike. I purchased the bike. Now I realize the bike might be a little too expensive for me. So I need to be real dedicated to it in order to make it worth my investment. Um, 
But at the same time, I think there's something around the thought of bike mechanics that gives me a lot of joy because it's finally doing something like with your hands that you can see. <laughs> and I do so much work on the computer that it's a, it's like using a different part of your brain that gives you just such satisfaction and also being able to see something that's physical. Like I always loved it when I could like, when I'm stressed out and I can just clean my room and then by the end of it, at least yes. one more thing is in order. And yes. you're like, at least there was that. Yep. Sometimes I randomly will just get up and I'm like, I'm going to sweep this floor real quick because it's just going to make yep. me feel better. <laughs> um, so I, it's one of those things I look forward to. And in the process of looking into all these bike videos, I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and I came across this video of this guy who has his own channel. And I guess he's an amateur um, cyclist in Japan and he's working it. He's an American who's working abroad there. And he was making a video from a GoPro during his commute to work about commuting to work for the last six months. Have you invested in your own GoPro? I have not, and I'm not <laughs> intending to. I think podcast is where I want um, my only media outlet to be. Um, they give me a lot of joy, and I don't really feel like being in front of a camera or anything like that. But in this video, he talks about, which is interesting because all the videos I watched about bike commuting all talked about how you need to set like a certain intention. And you should start off like maybe very slow, but then you should increase it over time. And so, wait, wait, what does that mean? Start slow with what? So, like, if you want to, if you want to be biking to work, you should start with maybe only committing one day out of the week to bike to work, ah, like and then okay. maybe you do two days, and then three days, and then like maybe you start doing only for certain seasons, and then whole other seasons, and then maybe you do the whole year. Um, and it really depends on like the climate and how far you live from work and X, Y, and Z. But in almost all of them, they talk about that. But this guy, when he broaches the subject, um, he introduces it through the saying that in, in Japanese, the saying is Yarushka Nai. And, and he translates it to mean, you just got to do it. He's like, just so in the morning, it. he's like, I wake up and he's like, honestly, maybe the first couple times I was really annoyed after it <laughs> rained or X, Y, and Z. He's like, but now he's like, I don't even think about those things. Yarushka I, like, I just got to do it. I got to get to work. And in my PD, I'm going to talk about it in this way around planning and project management is I greatly feel that planning even though sometimes i struggle with it i still know planning overall is something that is to my great benefit as one of my mentors in college said every three minutes you spend planning or sorry every minute you spend planning saves you three minutes in real time and <laughs> i believe that a lot like i think that there's each person kind of can decide for themselves what is the right amount of planning for them. Because I also think that like, if you get too structured or too loose or whatever, it can be like hard and it is not productive, yeah, you're, but you're catching me in a, <laughs> you're catching me because I definitely am not a very strong planner. So I might have to attend your PD. <laughs> well, so during this, I think it's interesting because he makes the point when he's commuting that he recently, to inform the audience that he recently got a car. 
And he said that he tried to actually do this commute by car one time. And this commute is 20 kilometers or 12 miles roughly in America. On a bike. On a bike. And now he's doing it in the car. Which in the car. Okay. he says takes him about an hour. All right. Wait, um, on a bike? On a bike. Okay. It takes him an hour. He said that um, he had a couple times in the last few months that he has actually had to take his car to work. And during that time, because of all the traffic and the hour that he had to travel during, it actually took him an hour and a half. In a car. In a car to get to work. And I think this serves as a really great um, illusion, I think, um, uh, or uh, like allegory, or I want to say metaphor that I want to use for, um, for my PD, that I think this is a great example around planning. Because... Sometimes the way that we're going is by car and we go because it's comfortable. It's the way we know. That's how we've always gotten to school. That's how we've always gotten to work. But if you look in an alternative way and take an alternative path, that alternative path may be faster, maybe better for you, but it also is probably going to be harder. Gonna take some planning. And it's going to take some, well, and it's going to take some planning, but that's exactly planning. Planning is hard. Sometimes it goes against everything that your body tells you that you want to do right then. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it makes you better. So like sometimes planning is one of those things where Yarushkanai, you just got to do it. True. And so I, but I love when you can go and be enthralled in your hobby and somehow it still contributes to something else in your life yeah i promise that i will get my bike soon and join you in this hobby but the hobby i'm gonna share about is actually a little bit different there was a while where i was really good about cooking at home and i have that subscription box um where they sent i get, I get to choose what recipes i want to cook for the week and they'll send me those meals with like the ingredients in the recipe for those meals so I can, generally it takes me about 30 minutes each meal, sometimes as many as 40, but most of the time around 25 or 30 minutes to make the meals. But I guess my intention or my, yeah, my intention is um, while I've gotten back into cooking, because there was a while where I was just like not managing the stresses of life well. And like the one thing I was cutting out of my day was cooking. And I was like, I'm just going to buy food today because it's already... 7 p.m. and I've been on my computer since 7 a.m. and I just don't want to use my any energy anymore. And so like I'll buy food. But instead, I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm continuing with my my cooking. I'm trying to at least cook twice twice a week during the week. And my intention is to allow myself to not follow the recipe 100. Um, percent So I just want to be a little bit. I just want to. Be a little responsive to what I want out of the meal. So it's like, I'll look at the ingredients, I'll look at the recipe, and I'll be, I'll try to think of like, if, are, if there are ways that I want to assemble this recipe in differently, or <laughs> ways that I want to stray from the recipe. Then I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna allow myself to do that and make the meal my own way. But it is cool. Like, following the recipe is helpful for like understanding a little bit more about how things go together. But then once you get the hang of it, you can kind of just like be more flexible, be more. Uh, I don't know, maybe adventurous. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. It's like I'm cooking again, but I just want to like go off script with what I have. I envy you for that because I want to do that. 
But whenever I'm in front of the stove, I just can never stray. And even to try to stay on track can be a challenge sometimes where it's like, oh, I didn't set a timer for that. Or like, why didn't I open that can in time? I should have already done that. Or like, <clears throat> I cut four out of the five vegetables I needed for the recipe. Oh, um, I always feel like that's the case. So I want to be one of those people like who have a Netflix documentary and can just like wing it with things. Like when you watch chopped and things, yeah. they give you like random things and they're just like, this is a great flavor profile with this. Like <laughs> as much as I want to say, I have a great tongue for beer and coffee and cigars and things. I think actually all of those things you might get better at with like the worse your taste buds are. So I don't think I qualify for any of these things because I don't think my sense of smell or taste is nearly strong enough to be like some expert on any of it. Not a talent. I mean, I don't know if cooking's a talent of mine. I don't know if I have great taste buds, but I know what I like. And I also know like it's, it's, it's probably even more fun to look at the recipe, see it as like a guide, but not like a law, you know, it's just like, all right, that's what I was supposed to do, but actually I'm going to do this and I feel good about it. And I would say so far the meals have been delicious. So not a problem. Um, cool. So let's take a little break and then we'll get started with the next segment. So Andres, I did have a question for you. I was thinking about earlier today. And it was, who was the first person that you saw on television that you saw as a reflection of yourself on TV? <laughs> this is, <laughs> I don't know if this is actually going to answer your question. Because I don't even know if I saw this person as a reflection of myself. But somebody that I definitely rooted for. <laughs> Okay, so in Power Rangers, right, the Tommy the Green Ranger shows up and starts to, you know, kind of be the cool new kid and eventually becomes the Green Ranger. And I just was like rooting for him, hardcore rooting for him because he was cool because he stood apart. He was on his own. He had his own uh, Megazord. Like he had his sword flute he had a cool green costume and immediately green was my favorite color and that was the person i was rooting for and i was like yeah tommy let, let let's root for tommy that's my favorite power ranger i feel like that's like the first person on tv that i was like yeah that's that's my person that's that's the character i'm rooting for my first person I saw as a reflection of myself on TV was AC Slater from Saved by the Bell. My <laughs> sister, um, my sister loves Saved by the Bell. Um, and it's interesting to think back on the videos and TV shows and things that you relate to your childhood and sometimes how random they are. Was this like when I think back to like the videos and stuff, like it's so random, but I digress. I guess like for AC Slater, so she loved the show and I saw AC Slater and for a couple of reasons. Number one, like I think I couldn't actually recall before we started planning for this podcast. I didn't even know that AC Slater on the show, they actually wrote him as Mexican American. 
didn't even know that. But I don't know if they did. I mean, I feel like I don't know if you're talking about like since the since the beginning of the show or I don't know either years, because the college years is when we find. Oh, out that's sure. after in the college years for sure. That's when he discovers like or he, he learns about himself and then he starts to really think about himself and and his Mexican heritage. And then that's when it's like, oh, he like talks about I'm Chicano. And I was like, oh, this is like not the Slater that we all thought we all like at least me personally, I thought Slater was just the jock, you know. I didn't even think about him as a as Chicano or as Mexican. And that's interesting for me. I think I just saw him as the brown guy, and he also wrestled. Uh-huh. So I think it was like one of the one of the when I'm reflecting on it today, I was like, it's interesting that I would just say I recognized with him mostly out of just like, you're a brown guy, you wrestle, and I wrestled since the first grade, and so I was probably watching this after I started wrestling, so it'd make a little more sense too. And then on top of that, I think now even this, it gets deeper because it's like someone who probably is in a very overall like white culture and has a certain like discovery and also like learns more and later on. Now granted, writers and things like that, that was probably like a convenient demographic move that they made in like the writer's room. But I still like appreciate, I think like here when we're talking about it is like how it just gets deeper and deeper. Yeah, I think it makes me wonder though, like did they purposefully write him as like a race neutral character for for the most of the show until college years on purpose? Was it like what changed there? Because I don't know. It doesn't seem like they really drew much attention to his race for the majority of the existence of that show. I would agree with that. Yeah. but I And just... I also wonder, though, I guess in thinking about demographics, if they were trying to go after a race-neutral character or encompass everyone who just didn't see themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I think also being someone who... Because I think of A.C. Slater, and I think one of the things I recognize with him is that he could have passed for a lot of things. Like, I think initially I thought maybe he was, like, Islander somehow or something like that. Like, I wasn't looking too much into, like, the actor and, like, all this other stuff. You know, I'm, like, an elementary school kid. Um, So I I think for me that's what I was kind of seeing when I think back on it now. But um, it would be interesting to know even at that point in time. Yeah. what the motivation would be but even thinking about names and how names can also be a helpful clue <laughs> into identity or into race and it's just like slater to me doesn't come off as latino at all or like anything like that yeah and like all and they also reduced him to even less with like initials and in his first name so yeah. it's ac so it's like you don't even what have any contact i don't actually know that's a, that'd be something interesting. All right, we're going to have to come back to this in the future and report yeah. and give an update on AC Slater. Are there any, I mean, well, I guess this is a good question. Do you identify as Latino, Hispanic, Chicano, Mexican-American? Um, I think that, that really matters, though, because um, I'll give you a quick story. When I when I was in, in middle school, uh, I learned um, about how a lot of Mexicans are actually – a lot of Mexicans, not most, not all, I don't know how many, but a lot of Mexicans have Aztec roots and Spanish roots. 
And when I learned that, for some reason, I had this weird like pride in saying like, I'm not Mexican, I'm half Spanish, half Aztec, which is not accurate at all. Like that's not, that's not how my family, like how my family uh, heritage actually is. Uh, it's not, it's not my actual representative. It's not actually representative of my family's heritage because I do have relatives that are directly from Spain in my family um, as recent as great grandparents, but um, also like the indigenous people near where my family is from are not Aztec. So, but I guess I would say then I started to identify as, as Latino. And then I, I started to identify as Chicano. And then in college, I started to um, identify as Chicana, um, Chicana with an X, uh, and then the at sign at the end, X at the beginning and the at sign at the end, at sign at the end because we wanted to be uh, gender inclusive and, and really kind of separate ourselves from like the masculine language, like patriarchal language. Uh, Spanish is like a gendered language, you know? So all the en all the endings are either masculine or feminine. But when there's any masculine representation, then masculine takes over for the plural of the noun. I don't know, all this weird. I, I went on a tangent, but what I was trying to say is like, how do you identify? Because I wanted to ask like, do you see any other popular characters? And uh, I'm rambling now, but I was really just, I wanted to get to the point where I get to talk about rocket power. <laughs> Because there's a character named Tito, and I was like, "Is I know Tito, and he was Mexican. Is Tito supposed to be Mexican?" And I just wonder these things. Like as kids, I, I don't know if I was really aware about race when I was watching cartoons or watching shows, because I was watching a lot of TV as a kid. But as an adult, I started thinking, like, are these characters Latino, or what? Like, what is their racial identity? How were they written? That's a that's a lot. Of, that, I just threw a lot at you. <laughs> yeah. So I think. In the very beginning, I recognized myself as Mexican. And then when they started asking for all those things in school, the only option I had was Hispanic. So I started choosing Hispanic for a while. And in Missouri and where I grew up, I always grew up in the places that I grew up. I grew up in white dominant culture for the most part. Um, and what I mean by that is like my mom's white. So like I grew up a lot with nurturing from her family and stuff, which not to say that I wasn't exposed to um, my Latino roots, my Mexican roots, but I, but I, it wasn't the predominant culture in my life. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes me think more and more how I just recognize myself as a little more brown. Granted, as a kid, you're outside a lot more. So almost all kids are brown, oh. but for like my siblings, it was always a thing because me and my brother would become so tan and my sister, she would get pretty tan, but she always talked about herself being the albino Mexican is what she would say. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I took, I think at a certain point when I realized where I was, I realized, um, I think I saw my dad as like a, a sign of strength and I think I saw just being different as a way to stick out being in like a multi-kid household. I always wanted to, was it something that helped you stand out on purpose that you wanted to stand out? I think I, I think I wanted to just own that I was different. Okay. I think that was it. And yeah. so I think I always would circle the bubble or I'd always do whatever because a, 
I thought at least federally it was good for me. So I was like, if I recognize this, this is probably good in overall for like how I need to get to college because I was still low income. And I'm like, boys put white at this. Like, that's probably not going to gain me anything. Hmm. But then I think the other thing, too, is I just thought, like, I do want to be proud of this. I didn't have a lot of reasons why, to tell you yeah. the truth. But there was something that always drew me down to always root for the person who looked like me. Like, my favorite wrestler growing up when I watched WWF yeah. was The Rock. Yeah. I loved him. Hell yeah. And the I reason was- <laughs> why, and I, and I get, like, he was still, like, a symbol for our generation growing up, too, because of his wrestling career before acting. But because he was other, he wasn't, I never associated with like Stone Cold Steve Austin or Triple H or these other characters. The Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys. Like it was always The Rock who I was like, that's my boy. Like I'm always rooting for him. I don't care. Like, and so I think that tells me a lot maybe how I saw myself. Interesting. I have a question for you. Uh Uh-huh. And this is on the topic of identity. And even specifically, when I think about it, I think about skin. Um, But my question is this, is like, I was thinking a lot about how throughout life, I've really had a hard, I had a hard time just, I had a hard time with my identity my racial identity, um, especially like thinking about how people talked about or treated me based off of my my skin. So I guess my question, I know my question is, who's someone that helped you love yourself? And I, I asked that because I think there were a few key people that helped me to love myself and I didn't always love myself, but if it wasn't for these people, I wouldn't have been in a place where I do love myself. My best friend, Travis, for sure. I had this moment in high school um, when I was cutting weight. Um, When you're in high school, your understanding of how diet and calories and metabolism work is 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 fake news like you have no concept of how that works i I, like what as an example one of my buddies who was trying to cut weight at the time and he was a lightweight so he was wrestling 103 in the 103 pound category golly i was wrestling 112s so this kid is 103 and uh, it's a couple days before I meet. It might, I think it might be like, I want to say it's a couple days before. So he, although he's still <sighs> having a cut and he's naturally probably closer to around like 115. Oh my goodness. He's, he eats chips because he's like, they're lightweight. They're not going to make me gain that much more. But a terrible decision because all the weight that you take in, you're going to take so much longer to get out. But like as kids, you never know that. So you think about it logically as like weight in my body, weight out my body. Like, I don't know. It made sense to us at the time. So 
my whole junior year, I was wrestling 125, and not every single time to cut weight, I just didn't eat for like a day or two before. And I and I like ran like crazy. I wore trash bags, all those things, all the things that you hear that are terrible. I did. Now yeah. I say this also with the asterisks behind it of, I would encourage my son or daughter if so inclined to wrestle at any appropriate moment. I'm a huge advocate of it. Cause I think, and, and I would be an advocate of most sports, probably outside of maybe football um, for my kid to be a part of just because okay. I think the sports do develop a lot of like discipline but I think you can do that through arts and things too. So I think there's other avenues as well, but I really appreciated my time and I was really invested in that. It, I think it made me stronger. It made me definitely mentally stronger, but it was a terrible way to cut weight. Uh-huh. And it doesn't, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound pleasant. It doesn't sound, I mean, it doesn't even sound safe. I will also acknowledge that cutting weight, was my least favorite part of wrestling. And it really is. The number one reason why I didn't continue with wrestling. It's the worst part. And so my June or my, my senior year, um, we always had a meet where uh, anyone who was wanting to compete for a certain weight class would have to wrestle in this meet and they have to wrestle against the other person who wanted to be in that weight class. And you were competing for the varsity spot. Whoever won in this match would get the varsity spot. And you, the catch was, is you had to weigh in at least, which th- I guess this is pretty merciful, but you had to weigh in within three pounds of the weight that, of the weight class. So if you're wrestling 130, you had to weigh in no heavier than 133. And you could still wrestle for that spot. You could, yeah. I'm going to pause real quick, and I'm just going to say this. It seems like if you are trying to compete for the spot to wrestle for that weight class, you should at least make the weight class. <laughs> I mean, that would be true, but this is like <laughs> preseason and, and like, okay. okay in so super, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how <clears throat> far in wrestling you got, but um, where in the Midwest and I, I think in, there's probably even communities here in California. I used to think it was like super regional. And I think there's certain States that might be more dominant in the sport. Like Iowa and Ohio are like ridiculous, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Oklahoma. Um, but there's definitely a lot of good guys out here too. The thing with um, with it is, is that those guys drop like if I'm wrestling 145, state champs are easily going to be, or at least at a certain time. Missouri they instilled certain like hydration laws now, so you have to like prove that you're so hydrated at the time that you weigh in, or so many hours before you weigh in, mm-hmm. um, to just prove that like you are not killing yourself essentially. But guys would be cutting from like 160, 165 to like 140, 145. They were doing that here, yeah. They Where it's here. like I, when I cut, I was cutting my freshman year. I cut from 120, 125 to 112. I was a jacked, absolute jacked dude at 112. But I was so tired. So it tired. Awful. It sounds terrible. It was not great. So – this, this is a long story of rambling, but at the end point of it, I, I resorted to that same thing before this meet. And so it was my birthday. It was around my birthday time, which is right which around is right now. now. <laughs> um, and, uh, and at the time, I was not living with my mom. I was living with my friend Travis. 
and I didn't have a car and the place that we were living was pretty rural. So it was about 30 minutes to my mom's house. And it was like a Tuesday night between six and eight o'clock. Now my mom called us, got like called the house phone and let me know that she wanted to celebrate my birthday and she had a cake. And I was like, that's great. Like I'll definitely be up there. I didn't want her to feel bad. I wanted to celebrate something with her and with the family. So Travis let me use his car. And, I, and it's crazy how far it was not that like outside of the street, but I, I, you have to go up a little hill and you get on the highway and it must've been no time when I was driving, when I was driving and all of a sudden, like I had a moment where I don't know what happened. And then I wake up and I'm like staring at the floorboard and I hear like rocks, like kicking up. And so all of a sudden I realized that I'm like in a car and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? And I flip up and the car is like on the shoulder and like drifting off the road. So then I overcorrect and there's like a bar at that point and in the road, there's like a bend and a bar sits on the bend and there's like a parking lot of it. So I swerve over towards that area. And then I, and I like, right as I'm like exiting the road, the highway, I swerve back. And because I overcorrected so much, I couldn't control it once I did that. And I hit this mailbox at this like manufacturing place or something. This car pulls over immediately and he's like military. He doesn't really want to talk to me. I don't know what just happened. I am disoriented. This is nuts. I feel like what my car happening? was really like was messed. Like the car was messed up. I was scared about that because it wasn't my car. And... The cops show up, they accuse me of all these things, saying I came from like the bar and that's like why I crashed the car. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, what are you talking about? It's like eight o'clock on like a Tuesday or whatever it was. It was like some random weekday. It's like, I don't like, I have like, I'm just a school kid. Like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then finally my friend Travis came and I was really upset. He took me back to the house and I remember crying on the bed and he came up to me and he goes, it's not that big of a deal. I know that you're really upset and I know you're worried about the car. He's like, but the car is a material thing and it can be replaced and you never can be replaced. And he's like, there's so many things that you bring that is worth so much more than that car. So like he said, before you decide to quit wrestling, because that was my solution to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I felt immense guilt. And I was like, I'm, I'm just not wrestling. And I went and I, that night I was, I felt guilty. So then I ate a crap ton of really bad food. And granted, this is still two days before the meet or whatever it is. So you were thinking the only reason this happened was because of how I was cutting weight. And my solution is not to participate in the sport because the sport is definitely not good for me. Okay. And then what happened? We pray together and he's like, let's just see what happens tomorrow. And then you can make your decision. And he's like, whatever your decision is, I will go by it. I agree with you. He's like, but I just want you to not make a rash decision. Yeah. He's like, pray about it. 
see what happens tomorrow, and you can go from there. I ate all those things. I prayed with him, and then I went to practice the next day, and I was five pounds lighter. It was the only time that I was ever within the weight. It you makes no sense. I lost weight. Now, I think there's sometimes that I chalk that up to like a thing of God. I still think there's some, probably some like spiritual side to this because I think it taught me a lot. Also, it taught me a ton about nutrition. So for the rest of that season, I ate vegetables like the day before only. And then the day of, I always made weight. So it was like no problem as long as I was like just eating vegetables instead of like just eating normally up until like the day before and then acting crazy. Is that because vegetables carry a lot of water? I don't it's because it carries a lot of water and then the overall calories in them, you just work off really quickly. So as long as my okay. metabolism was fast enough that like the fiber and the vitamins and the water in it would just go through me and I could rid any excess of it. And I worked out hard enough that I could control that. To be honest, as an adult, I don't really eat very many vegetables. But this story makes me think like, I should probably eat some more vegetables. <laughs> you definitely should. Um, but he was definitely the first guy that made me feel that way. Someone definitely loved. I mean, I think a lot of my friends, Barton feels me, makes me feel loved a lot. But I'd also say like in terms of my racial identity, I would say you've had a huge impact on that. I think I didn't have a lot of friends that looked like me in a lot of portions of my life. And so I think that was also something that gravitated me towards you where I was like, I see a part of myself in him and maybe he has something too where getting to know him will help me know more of myself. I think there's also a certain portion where it's just like you feel more belonging, you feel something there. And I think that's why I look so fondly on the time that we had together at that school and particularly just that school. like. My time in that school and that school community, it made me feel so much more in touch with my roots. And even now, I feel like just the people that continue to work there that I get to have contact with makes me feel so lucky and blessed um, because they have definitely extended yeah. gratitude in a way that I think in a lot of ways, I feel like I don't deserve, but it's like you get to see more and I don't know. I definitely feel that same way about that school. But if I could, if I, one story that, it's not a story. What I share very proudly, um, what I share very proudly with a lot of people, which is very personal, but I think important, and it's an important, it's important for me because it's a, it's how I learned how to love myself and how I learned how to appreciate being proud of my roots. After a lot of reflecting in college and meeting a lot of people that really helped me understand more about myself in the, in a similar way where it's like, I wasn't, I didn't really have a lot of, I didn't really have a lot of friends that were really proud of, of understanding their roots, their indigenous roots, their their Latin roots. Um, 
and they helped edu- help me to learn more about myself and, and and my identity. But I think in that process, my whole childhood, I would say all the way until college, I did not really like my skin because in my family, there aren't very many dark people. I, it's just like me, basically. And I got teased a lot. And I don't know if they teased me because they didn't like me or if they teased me because it was just funny. But I got teased a lot for being very, very dark. And um, it really made me self-conscious and it made me feel ugly. And I did a lot of unhealthy things to really try to try to address that I was super dark. But I got to a point as a a young adult when I was in college where I was like, you know what, I really love my skin. And the one person that I can honestly say always treated me well and actually um, made me feel or helped me to love myself was my grandfather um, on my dad's side. And he's the person who I get my middle name from. He passed away um, when I was a teacher at that school that we we were working at, and uh, I wrote a children's story about how spending time with him and my grandmother growing up is really what helped me understand how to love myself, like entirely, like even from the outside, and, uh, which was really hard for me because I think a lot of people made me think like being dark is not okay, being dark skinned. It's not okay. And they were the few people in my life that actually were like, you should love who you are entirely and you should love your skin. And there's a reason that your skin looks that way. And it's a beautiful reason. <laughs> so I think like that for me was really important. It was like, I've met a lot of people in my young adult life and in my adult life who helped me to love myself. But I would say what I appreciated was having grandparents that helped me do that from a young age when it was hard and there weren't very many other people that were doing that for me but i think castro it's time for another break let's take it here and then we'll come back together and share some of our concerns and also beautiful moments cool let's do it Thanks for coming back from the break and We're continuing back. to listen to us flap our jaws. <laughs> um, so our worry moment this week, as this time has been so chaotic with everything going on in the government and the election that's coming up. Socially. Socially with the virus and being able to figure out like how we if we make holiday travel plans or not, that's one of my conundrums. Um, I just got invited to a Thanksgiving dinner and I was wondering like, should I go? (laughs) Yeah. Should I go? It's a legit worry. And there's a part of you, a part of your soul that's like, oh, I need the human interaction. But then there's that other side of you that's like, I read all these articles that tell me, no, no, I will not be doing this. And I'm an expert in disease. Mm -hmm. So I haven't made the decision. And it sounds like you haven't either, but this is our worry moment. So we want to kind of share what's been our, on our mind. It's made us worried a little bit. What has us preoccupied at the moment? Yeah. So 
Um, this week, I was listening to a story on NPR about dreams. And they had a dreams expert on the radio who was explaining how she had a survey open online where people could submit their own responses. Mm-hmm. And so it gave her a set of data to work off of to see what are the trends in dreams that people are having collectively across our nation at this time. So through the survey, people were able to share about what dreams they were having? Yes, she did the same thing around 9-11. Right after that happened, she ran a study on that. Um, She's done it a couple times, and so she- So interesting, okay. So in this, she talked about the themes that she's seen, and the themes that she has seen that's been most prevalent have been dreams where people show up to parties or social occasions and no one's wearing a mask or they show up to work and no one's wearing a mask. Um, just like we have all the time when you're watching TV and you're like, wait, this, <laughs> these people aren't wearing masks and they're out in public. What? Yeah. Like watching like sitcoms where people are just like hanging out. It's so strange. Yeah. And so that's one. Another one they say a lot is just generally feeling nervous about somehow being sick. There's also a lot about bugs. A lot of people are having insects, and that's something that she says is very unique to now. And she shared that in dreams, emotion and vision is are actually heightened more than in your visual in your um, conscious state. But your rationality um, declines. So your prefrontal cortex is not as active during this time. When you're dreaming. When you're dreaming. Okay. So this, I think it just really flags for me, number one, hearing all these people on the radio talk about their dreams and how much worry people have and thinking about my own wife who's working through things with work and just general other concerns that even within like a marriage, you sometimes might keep a little bit. And it just makes me think a lot. And even my own dreams where I didn't dream for probably a year before this whole thing happened and in the last month I've had like dreams all the time and it's been super strange. Um, and it just makes me really think about a mental health. I think you've got to talk about it. Everyone's got to talk about it. Either if you talk about it with yourself in a journal or you talk about it with a friend or you talk about it with your spouse, you talk about it with all of the above. Um, with a therapist, a licensed professional, a a spiritual leader. But I'd really encourage everyone to just be thinking about their mental health at this time because it's really, really difficult right now. There's so many times that even on weekends, I'm like, I'm not even sure what I need right now. Yeah, I think right now that makes me think about how I probably shared this with you several times and a few other people, but it's like something that I've wanted to do is go to therapy. And that's just something that I'm lagging on. Like I've been really good about going to the dentist, getting my regular checkups, my physicals, but there's something that's stopping me from doing what I want to do, which is going to therapy. And I don't know if it's the price tag. I don't know if it's uh, COVID, but literally, I know it's something that is going to benefit me and it's something that I want to do. And I need, I know I just got to, I need the extra push. Maybe, maybe I just need somebody to be accountable. So this is one thing I would say, 
I went to a therapist one time in my life. Mm-hmm. It's my third year at Fuerza, or sorry, my third year at in Phoenix. So okay. I, my third year in Phoenix, I was teaching two classes, one of 35, one of 40, both inclusion. They were overcrowded classrooms that I even had a challenge like controlling because I could hardly move in the class. And then the curriculum that they wanted us to teach was like not on bar with them. And I probably was somewhat culpable for that too. Um, but I also didn't really know reading levels on a lot of those things that I like, I wish I had more coaching around and I could be more exact and could really help kids more. But yeah. regardless, I was pretty miserable that year just based on the workload. There were so many kids and there were so many extra things that I had to do and I just had to do them. And at that school, we built everything ourselves which is not unusual in a lot of schools where you build a lot yourself. I'm sure you had examples of that in Phoenix too, where it's like you just create it, you know? I mean, in Phoenix, my, the principal of the school hired me without ever meeting me. And then on my first day at the school, told me and another first year teacher that we would be in charge of the entire middle school. And then we had to design the bell schedule, all of the electives, all of the student schedules. Sounds was, like good uh, training to be a school leader. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I thought, wow, this person really trusts me, and I've done nothing in education. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's that's a hardcore. It, well, I guess this is kind of connected to my concern. Well, and so I guess to continue on that, I was in a pretty miserable place, and I wanted to get out of education. I didn't know how. Yeah. That's what I felt. I was like, teaching has just burned me out. And I was like, I need to figure out something with my career. I don't know how. And I looked at every resource I could. And therapy was one of those things. And I think the thing that makes me always nervous about going to therapy is finding a therapist that fits you. And that's something that I definitely want to do. I want to do that too. And I think that's always the thing that makes me balk from going back. Like, I want to go again. I guess I should take more of my own advice that I'm about to give. Which is I'm fine to have I'm fine to assign you my accountability partner. <laughs> One thing I would say, which we should be more of just generally, because I think it helps in a lot of things like exercise too, and a lot of things when you do I'm gonna them get together. my bike, Castro. I get it. Um, but I would say with with the therapy, a lot of it is like how willing are you to just be vulnerable in general. Mm-hmm. So if you know that you're open to that, whoever you pick, yeah, as long as they're not a stark, stark opposite, <laughs> you're going to be okay. Because ultimately, like a lot of them should be leading you where you want to take them. They're going to leave things open. And so I talked about so many various things in there about my past, about my family, about family members who had passed away that had made huge marks on me and how devastated I was about those deaths. But ultimately, those sessions led me to the position I am at today. And additionally, without those sessions, I don't know if I would have like even asked my wife out on a date initially. Whoa. They helped me realize that, as cliche as it sounds, like, I need to expose myself and open up the opportunity to be with my wife to ever know if it was going to work or not. And I was so afraid and so cautious of our friendship that I didn't want to 
impede on that or like stomp on that to possibly ruin our friendship. And so I was so cautious that I was like crippled and paralyzed. And therapy really helped me realize that this is a moment and I need to seize it. Carpe diem. (laughs) So as even though I feel like my therapist was subpar and I'm sure even if she listened to this podcast, she'd have no idea who I am. There was still purpose and when I that there was still purpose in me going. Yeah. And I brought that purpose. Have you ever um la- did you ever laugh in front of your therapist? Okay. No. Well then yeah, maybe you're you she won't ever But I'm like <laughs> but to be fair, when I enter like uh most of the time, except yeah. maybe here on this podcast, when I enter a reflective space I am so serious. So when I, I feel like when I went to church and I go, I often feel just, uh, I feel somber. Okay. If that's like a, I feel like that's the best description of it. I don't necessarily think that's how you should live out your spiritual life. I will say that. I feel like you should have some more joy at certain points, but I think I lived a lot around feeling legalistic early on and even now sometimes i do where i approach like spiritual things with reverence which i think is appropriate but also a certain somberness out of guiltiness which i think to dive more into i think somberness isn't wrong necessarily because i think when you're somber you also bring silence and i think silence is important in the spiritual life yeah but I feel like I normally am like that. So I didn't laugh a lot in general, but I definitely want to do more. Yeah. Well, I guess my main question about that laughter was because I think that your laughter is very unique. And uh, if you had ever laughed in front of them, they would be able to identify you on this podcast. This is basically what I was trying to get. And the long about maybe potentially dad jokes in the future come out, which we both i want to say i appreciate always when you when you crack some jokes because no matter how corny they am they are i only aspire to be a supreme corny joke cracker when i'm a dad so yeah just in the tradition of my dad who always was like pull my finger and we always knew what was happening then we just giggle and be like no Yeah, I kind of look forward to the day that I get to be a dad. I do, but I I guess also another worry moment is I just think about the world's population. I'm like, oh, and then I also think about just having a puppy instead of a kid. And I'm like, that was a lot of work. And then I hear about how much kids cost. And I'm like, oh, they're so expensive. But I know at the end of the day, after seeing my nieces grow up before my eyes in the last two years, three years, four years, like in the, in the recent past, like seeing my siblings have kids just brings such a joy to my life Mm -hmm. that even if I can't picture it, I know how much joy will also bring others. And I'm looking forward to that. And I think there's a lot of unpredicted joy that you have in it, even though it is going to be so exhausting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're in education. You're used to being exhausted. 
which I kind of, if I could share a little bit about my concern lately, and I've been having some candid conversations with a few people, including you. I just think like right now, one of my, one of the things that's preoccupying me is during this time, how many more educators are going to leave the profession because it's been difficult right now for teachers and people that work in schools. It's been very difficult and myself included. And one of my biggest worries is that I'm going to make the decision um, to not continue in education. And I think that I, I, I honestly can't imagine myself doing anything besides working in schools, but I'm worried that I, I'm not fe feeling successful or fulfilled right now um, in distance learning. I'm not, I'm not seeing, um, I guess I'm not seeing the impact that I can have. I don't know. I'm just a little worried. It's, it's, I'm very exhausted. I'm putting in a lot of hours, but I'm also just wondering like how, I don't know. Am I wondering like how long, I'm wondering how long can I keep this up for? What I hear from you is you're feeling some isolation, which is a part of this time. You're also feeling some burnout. And I think that's really natural. I, I experienced the same thing in that moment that I was talking about earlier when I went to my therapist. I mean, there were moments, that was the time, and I would say since then, I've not gone to sleep regularly without like melatonin or something. Mm -hmm. It started out as wine in my third year. And then after like doing it for two weeks, I was like, oh no, I can't keep doing this. This will make me an alcoholic. I needed to find something natural. So I did melatonin and I continued to take it and like religiously. And I think some of it's probably like a placebo effect where I'm like, and you take this and it's like a ritual and I'll make sure I go to bed. But Maybe that's not the case. Maybe melatonin is really just putting me asleep. But regardless of it, I would tell you this. I think a couple of things. Number one, this is a hard year. Yes. And I think a lot of the things that you're feeling are valid in how you feel. So I want to first validate them because I think if I was an educator in like a classroom level still, it would be, be very challenging in so many ways because your heart is so big, but then also your capacity is only so much. And it's so hard to carry out all of your intentions right now and to be the person that you want to be when education, there's so much a part of it that's present. But I would also tell you that Searching outside of education isn't necessarily bad, and I think it will be interesting to see, even if you just change the environment, how much it will change your perspective on if you need students or not. And I think it's a good indicator. When I left the classroom and I went to work for a nonprofit, in that year I realized I need variants I need multiple puzzles to solve. Um, and I ultimately want to help with the greater good. 
but I also realized I need kids and I hadn't had kids in my life for that 18 months. Really? I was pretty much only working with adults and reporting to an office. And so when I came back to working in a school after that, I would work so relentlessly because I was so fueled by them. And I think even now I think about at this point, do I, is that something I need? Is there some other way I can help education? Is there some other thing I can do? What I would say is this, I guess the last thing I'll tell you is I will share feedback or share advice you shared with me earlier, which you shared maybe last week in our previous podcast, but um, around turning like a why to a what. And for you here, I guess I would challenge you to say, like, what can you do right now to find the answers that you're seeking? What reflection do you need to have? What conversations you need to have to help you navigate it? Yeah. To help you process this. If anything, just to find yourself in a place where you might not be as inertialist. You might not be moving, free-floating around quite as much. You might still be groundless, which I think allows you to understand that you're human amid all this chaos. But I do think you can still get a perception of where you are and where you want to go. And so I encourage you to seek that out, too. What is your what? Yeah. Thank you for throwing that back at me. It's going to be very important for me to take that, take that advice. And it's like, it's learning, it's learning. And it's trying to also continue to have grace for myself. I'm extremely proud of all educators right now. All of the, all of the grownups that are working in schools virtually and in schools in person. It's a, it's been a hard year, a hard school year. Even the end of last school year was hard, and then this this new school year is is even harder. Something it seems, but I'm just I'm. I guess my main worry is is that it's not just me. It's like how many educators are considering leaving the profession um, because of our experiences now. And I I'm, I just want to say like that's what's my one of my concerns. Is like what can I do? Because right now I'm in a I'm in a position where I'm leading. I'm I'm a school leader, right, and I worry that um, I worry that you know I'm not being I'm not always being the best leader, which is like what what does that mean? What uh, can you always be the best leader 100% of the time, or are you going to make mistakes? I'm making plenty of mistakes. That's fine. I got to give myself grace for that too, as I learn and continue to grow from them. But it's just like what am I going to do right now for myself and for, for everybody else that's working in schools to make sure that they are, uh, they're seeing their impact. Yeah. But that, that weighs heavy on me too. I mean, I think about teachers I know right now. Kind of want us though, like to make sure that we do end on the, on the beautiful notes. Yeah. And I guess I would just leave this by saying the same thing during mine that, I want to encourage everyone to seek out that connection that you feel you truly trust. The person that is your person. I'm a huge fan of Grey's Anatomy. So, um, uh, you know, if you're Meredith, seek out your Christina. 
you know, seek out the person <laughs> that is your person that you will, you can be your most embarrassing self in front of and feel okay about it and share that with them. Even if it's really scary, I would encourage you to, yeah. um, to help navigate it. Um, but on a personal note, I guess I'd shift to one of the things that is self-care for me right now. I'm not doing it every day, but I'm trying to get to it most days. Um, and I'm working through a book by Mark Nepo. And um, it's he has a spiritual meditation book. Um, and I will leave um, the title of it a little bit later because it's not catching me off the top of my head right now. But uh, this previous week, one of the meditations, one of the daily devotionals that he had, um, had a quote from an Indian guru, which really resounded with me. Um, I really connected with it. And uh, I might butcher this name, but Nizangara Muraji said, Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. And between the two, my life flows. And I think that's, it caught me because when I think about the world in general and all the years that have preceded me, all the generations of people that preceded me, even in the place that I live right now, that how many times has it changed hands? How many people have lived and died and prospered and struggled on the land that I live now and all the land that I've lived in, in my life. I really think about that. And I think, man, I'm nothing. I can't really, really control a lot. But then I think about the times that I've lost people that I really love and how much of a void and how different the world feels. And as much as sometimes I struggle to understand how much I'm loved, I think reflecting on the fact that you do mean everything to somebody that's is a, important. Yeah, that's a that reminds me of a, a Chance the Rapper. Um, there's a song, Everybody is Somebody is Everything. And yeah, I think that's I think that's such a truth to like understand that. I think when you reach your really dark places, it's hard to understand that there's somebody out there that cares and worries. And I would encourage you to open yourself up and open your thoughts and silence enough to hear that. If you can, to reach out. Um, and so I think that those counterbalances are really meant to be there to help ballast the ship that you live through your life, that you call your life, that you flow between the two. So I need to not only understand that I can continue to do good things in the world, but ultimately, like, the world is going to continue on without me. But also know that right now, right here, I do mean a lot to certain people. I think having that intention and even to know that you can have that impact on every person that you interact with is something that's beautiful. So that really caught my attention for the beautiful moment of the week for me. I really appreciate you sharing that. It makes me think a lot about my godson, which is, he's my... Uh... He's my beautiful moment for the week. I think it's because um, a week ago today, he turned one. And then today, um, so his his parents 
him and his parents, they lived down the street from me. And his dad uh, takes him on on walks. And uh, at the towards the end of their walk, they stopped by my apartment. And um, I came outside to meet with them. And he's just, he's growing pretty fast, but I, I think what I love is that his parents are always sending me videos and of, of him just being happy, just so happy. And he came by, him and his dad came by today. And it's like my moment of beauty is just being able to, to know that I am, I'm responsible for being a very positive impact in, in his life. And I, get a lot of joy just seeing him and just the simple thing of him and his dad coming by so that I can just hang out with them, have a conversation and just like be around him so that I can see him laughing. Like he's just cracking up all the time. And I just wonder like, what is going through your head right now? You're just cracking up and it's cracking me up and it's just pure joy. But it is like a moment of beauty because it's like, I'm home. I'm always home. <laughs> it seems like <laughs> and, uh, them just walking, walking by, saying hi on a Sunday, um, and me being able to just spend some time with him, and him, him being so close, him being so close, and me being so close to him, where I can see him regularly, um, that brings me a lot of joy. And I think that's that's what's important. Is like moments of beauty are just still being able to find those ways to connect with the people in your life um, and maintain your, your connections in, in whatever way you can. I know right now it's really hard. People yeah. Are, people are far. People are being apart on purpose because we want to be safe. Um, but and maybe that's, that's probably, that reminds me of why I got into education in the first place is like, I want to make sure that I'm having a positive impact. Because if we are living in the space between being everything and being nothing while the world continues without us you want to make sure that you are leaving it better than than when you entered it and i think that's really important and it's like my godson i hope has a really fruitful life and has a really big impact of his own but i want to make sure that i'm doing what i need to do for a lot of a lot of kids and my godson included to make sure that I'm making decisions like the grown-ups are making decisions that are going to be positive for everybody that's coming next. So maybe something, I guess one thing I take away from, I take a couple, I take one thing away from it and I connect in a couple levels. First connection I have, or the connection that I do have is of you just saying that youth is something that we really need to treasure and we need to have a connection to in order to be the the best adults we can be is we need to also have a connection to what this world looks like after us being responsible being responsible yeah. i think this the the two connections i have with it is um first what your nephews and nieces and cousins and godsons and your what family can mean to you like the kids in your family can mean to you and the connection and also the power that parents have to help in, increase that like you talked about 
his dad bringing him by your apartment. And I think about how I don't live near my sister, but she still regularly calls me on her Facebook portal. And I talk to her kids and we get, and like my photos on my computer are littered with just screenshots of my niece in ridiculous filters, <laughs> like a pirate and all these other things, which give me so much joy and just, I love to know that I'm not being forgotten. And that's so selfish in that way, but I also am so excited to know that I can like live life beside them and that I'm not just a random uncle, but that I am a part of their life. Yeah. And then the second thing that I would say has to do with love and something else that my sister and my brother-in-law taught me and that I hold so dear with my own marriage. I think when you see examples of love in the world, I think you cannot, you cannot downplay it. I think people too often downplay the examples of love in their life and how meaningful they can be to others around them. I didn't have a lot of examples of really great love where two people, or I, where two people cared for one another so thoroughly my my sister i feel like was one of those examples of at least romantic love that i saw play out for the first time and i saw trust and love and it wasn't necessarily based on a religion or something higher it was just like these two people found each other and loved each other and it was such a symbol to me i think it's that same thing whenever we also find that in our nieces and nephews in our family and whatever we find in life is those are beacons of love that mean a lot. And so I think that we should really attach and focus on those more. So that's another beautiful moment. Something else that I really connected with that. Um, I appreciate everyone for joining us tonight. Definitely appreciate the conversation with you. You as well. And, you know, we're going to be working on getting some other people on here. So you hear some different perspectives. Um, and as we continue to like share this with friends, um, we're gonna work on getting this on some other platforms too, so you can leave some comments and participate in the conversation. But we thank you uh, for listening to our podcast. Appreciate it. All right, we'll leave it at that. Bye. Oh, thank you.